0: I want to share a pastor's heart with you this morning, and um, we got to ordain a brand new pastor last week, and how precious that was to see how God was moving what God had already ordained. We had the privilege of making that public, and so what a precious time, and what a precious man and his family here was recognized in our church as a brand new pastor in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you know there's so many things that bring joy to a pastor's heart, but to see people growing, and that was an example of it last week when we saw him and came here as a member and got excited about church and just grew and grew and grew and ultimately felt God calling him in the ministry. But uh, one of the most exciting things about this church, I believe, and I can give testimony to it because through the years as we've had leadership meetings and leadership retreats and Meetings upon meetings, I've asked our leaders, what would be some of the major characteristics of this church? And over and over and over, the number one thing that they list is change lives. They've seen their life changed. They've seen other lives changed. And uh, what an exciting time to see God at work. And so your pastor's prayer is always that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in our church, that we would not inhibit the... Uh, or quench the Holy Spirit. I pray that in my own life every day that I wouldn't do that. I pray specifically that I'd stay out of God's way. And uh, we've seen him do great things here. But you know, your pastor's heart this morning believes that there's so much more he wants to do. I've never been connected or gone to a church like this before. It's, uh, it's amazing to me. It's, it's, uh, every morning I get up and just uh, stand in absolute awe of how good God has been to us and how he's done great things in this church. But I believe he has so much more he wants to do here in your life, in my life, my family's life, but also in the life of this church. I believe God wants to do a great and mighty work here uh, on top of what he's already done here. And in the midst of that thought, we also realize that the church is struggling in America today. And so I'm praying right now that we'd all stand strong, that we'd all grow strong in our faith with him. And so God put it upon my heart to teach and preach through the book of Colossians. And Colossians is probably one of the grandest, greatest books ever written about the life of Jesus Christ. It's a small book, but it is filled with spiritual spiritual depths. And as I ponder the thought of starting this study today, I want to take some time this morning and spend some special time in prayer. I want to talk to God. I want to talk to us, to me. And I just want to lay our souls bare in the presence of God this morning. And I want to ask you right now, if you would, just take a couple of deep breaths. Make yourself comfortable. In your mind right now, say, God, just give me a clear mind right now. Give me a singular focus on you right now. As I enter into this most precious time, I want to have this intimate time with God this morning to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our lives this coming here. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes, every head bowed and every eye closed. and I want you just to focus on God. We know that there's always hope in God. When God set his people free, in Egypt. It was only a 35 day walk to the promised land. What should have taken 35 days ended up taking 40 years. It was due partially because the Israelites kept looking back. But it was also because they did not trust God. They did not have the faith that God wanted them to have. Maybe these thoughts resonate with you this morning. Maybe you feel this morning that you should have been further along in your life than you are right now. Maybe you feel this morning that your career was going to take a different path than it took. Maybe there's some regrets this morning in relationships with family or friends. Maybe you feel like your finances would have been in a whole different state this morning than they are today. Maybe even your emotional and your spiritual life right now is not as mature as you thought it might be as you've walked with the Lord. You keep looking back, saying things like, What if why but and everything else we seem to say about the past maybe you get up wondering every morning and saying to yourself is this as good as it gets maybe maybe you feel this morning like you've fully blown it Maybe you feel like you've missed the opportunities in your life. Maybe you feel like you've failed. Maybe you feel this morning like you've been hurt so bad that you're never going to get over that hurt. Maybe you feel this morning like something or someone has stolen your future. Maybe this morning you feel hopeless. Despair and discouragement is the overriding feeling you're living with. Maybe this morning as you're pondering these thoughts, you're thinking to yourself, well, yesterday is real to me. I want you to know this morning your past is real. God knows your past is real as well. God this morning, though, wants to let you know that he has a great plan for your life. He wants you to stop looking back. Just like the Israelites begin looking at that land of milk and honey. Look at that promised land. This morning, God wants to give you a glimpse of the future a good future, a future filled with hope. God can't, and God won't change your past. But He can change your future. There is always hope when God's involved. God knows the plans He has for you. It wasn't too late for Jonah when he ran from God. It wasn't too late for Peter when he denied Jesus Christ three times. It's not too late for you. Your past does not need to determine your future. Our God is all-sufficient. In Him, we are complete. God is all we need. Let's make it our prayer today that we might truly see God for who He is. We need to get to know God so well that we think what he thinks we see what he sees we hear what he hears the question on our heart this morning should be how well do I know God am I growing in my relationship with God am I seeing God in new ways every day God, thank you that you are ever-present in our lives, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, God, that we cannot even begin to imagine the plans that you have for us. Father, we realize, Lord, that you desire to do something extraordinary in each and every one of our lives. Father, you want your church to be that great light upon a hill. You want your body of believers, your church, Father, to transform through the power of the Holy Spirit and because of Jesus Christ's death upon that cross, this nation, Father, back to you, this community, Father, our neighbors, our friends. Father, I pray right now that every one of us, Father, would leave this place in just a little bit different than the way we came in. I pray, Father, that we would open our hearts, maybe wider than they've ever been opened today, Father, as we study your Holy Word. Father, speak to our hearts, change our lives, Father. Lord, I pray for myself, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me, Father, of falling short in so many ways in my life. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you'd continue the work you've started in me, Father. Continue the work you've started in each person in this room, Father. But I said, I pray more than that, Father, that we would seek you first in all ways, Father. That we'd have a unquenchable thirst, a hunger and thirst, Father, for you. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would receive your word, Father, but not just receive it, Father, but we'd also... Act on it, Father, that we live on your holy word, Father. Our lives would reflect you into this world. Father, speak to my heart. Speak to our hearts this day, Father, as we desire to draw close, Father, but also to walk worthy of the calling that you put upon each and every one of us, Father. Father, we desire to see great things by your hand, Father. We give ourselves to you, Father, and we realize, Lord, that surrender Is difficult, Father, because we're human. We want to keep picking up our lives, Father, but we desire this morning to truly surrender our lives to you, Father. As Paul said, not I that live, but Christ that lives in us. Father, we thank you for this most precious time in your presence. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're in this room. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, and we invite that Holy Spirit in to convict, Father, to change our lives yet again, Father, and we desire not to quench that Holy Spirit, Father, but to invite him in and welcome him in and to live, Father, seeking that Holy Spirit in our lives each and every day. Fathers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you a couple other questions here this morning. What does it mean to live a life that pleases God? You ever ponder that thought? What does it mean to live a life that pleases God? It should be one of our desires each and every day, is to walk with God in a more powerful way, but also to have a life that's pleasing to Him. Do you find it a struggle to keep Christ upon the throne of your life? We've shared before and talked about it and every time we get angry, you know what we do? We kind of boot Christ off our throne and we put ourselves up there because I deserve to be mad or angry. But do we truly have Christ living on the throne of our life and do we leave him there empowered by the Holy Spirit in our life? I want to live like Jesus Christ. It's tough to do though. Even as a pastor, you would think, well, the pastor should be able to do it if anybody can. Here, No, you can do it just as easy as I can. It's a matter of keeping that Holy Spirit there and staying out of God's way. And not having my will, but God's will. We're going to study the book of Colossians here, and I'm excited about that. Uh, As I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I believe there's probably no greater or more grander book written about Jesus Christ. It's arguable that way. It's a letter that Paul wrote that ranks among the greatest letters ever written. The book of Colossians is short, but it's packed with powerful spiritual truths. Those truths are the things that I want you and I to see and understand, but also to live. The theme of the book is all about His sufficiency, that God is sufficient. He is the f- sufficient one. When all we have is God, that's all we need. Truly, we are complete when we have God in our lives through Jesus Christ. I want to talk for just a moment about the history of the book of Colossians to kind of give you a feel for what we have here. But... Uh, Colossae was a small town in Asia Minor, and that's current-day Turkey for you geographers. Within just a couple years, though, after Paul wrote this letter, the Colossae was destroyed by an earthquake. It was no more. Totally destroyed. We've seen that in our current day with some of these earthquakes. Totally destroyed. I want you to kind of understand this, though. You and I would probably never have heard of a place called Colossae, if it weren't for that little church there and the letter that Paul wrote to that church to encourage him. Paul wrote a letter in Colossae now is known for eternity. Go figure. God had a plan. Paul never actually ever traveled to Colossae. The Colossian church was a church plant from the church at Ephesus. The Ephesians church planted that church there. He never went there. The reason he knew about the church, though, was a fellow by the name of Epirifus came to see him when he was in jail in Rome, and he shared about this precious church in Colossae. He says, man, those people love each other. It's a great fellowship, but, Paul, we're kind of under siege a little bit because there's a lot of false teachers coming in teaching false doctrine. So Paul said, okay, I'm going to write you a letter to carry back with you to that church. And that was the reason for the letter that Paul wrote, wanting well, to encourage that church, but also to tell them about false doctrine and false teachers there. Warn them about that and to have them grow strong in the Lord and spiritual maturity and spiritual discernment that they'd recognize false doctrine. One of the problems in the American church today is we don't recognize false doctrine. Some churches we've gotten so far off course they have no conception of what the doctrine ever was. Some some churches that call themselves Christians are so far from Jesus Christ it's hard to imagine they call themselves Christian because of their false doctrine. Paul wanted to encourage the church at Colossae that they'd understand doctrine, but he also wanted them to grow. If you look at a common theme through all the letters, all the epistles that Paul wrote, you know what he prays for them all about? That they know Christ. That they might know Him. He realized the greatest gift that they can have from Him is for Him to pray that every one of those people that are involved in those bodies of Christ in all those different cities knew Christ that would be Paul's prayer for you and I today as well. That's God's prayer for you and I, the Holy Spirit's prayer for you and I, that we would know God, that we'd come to understand who God is truly in our life. This little church was the only church in Colossae. And guess what? If the gospel was going to be spread in the city of Colossae, it was going to be up to this little church. I want you to ponder that thought for a minute. One little church in Colossae had the full responsibility of sharing the gospel with our whole city. We have a lot of churches in our little city here. have a lot of churches in our county, a lot of churches in our state. But you know what? I believe as the followers of Jesus Christ, as the body of believers here, we need to take the responsibility like we're the only ones doing it. We're not. There's other churches out there doing it too. But we need to live in such a way as, wonder if nobody, no other church ever does this. There's people in your life and my life right now that do not have the gospel of jesus christ you know who god's looking at responsible to help them understand it and know about it you just like that church in Colossae. their responsibility was Colossae. if they weren't going to do it it would not get get done think about this if you don't do it it may not get done really think about this how many people have ever come to your door at your home hey i'm here i'm from x baptist church just want to invite you to church you have a church home has anybody ever come to your house? You know the only people that ever come to my house? Churches that have bought into the false doctrine. They're cults. The Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons have been to my house. They do a phenomenal job sharing their story. Think about this. They're sharing a story that's not true. We have the truth. We have the right story. The greatest story that's ever been told. And we don't take the opportunity enough. Many of you do, I know. But we don't take it enough to share the gospel. There's people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood, people that you do activities with, sports or whatever that might be, that have not heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have an incredible privilege, but also an incredible responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was writing to enlighten these Christians. He was telling them that God has so much more for that church in Colossae. He had so much more for the Colossians. I want you to hear this this morning as we begin this study. God has a very powerful message this morning for Beaverdam Baptist Church and for you. He has so much more in his heart that he wants to share with you and I. And I'm praying right now that we'd all take another step up. Many of you are already great students of the Bible and you study and you spend plenty of time with God every week. But I want every one of us this morning to ponder the thought, man, God's blessed my life and I've studied this much. Imagine if I really got serious about God's word. Got really serious about praying what God might do in me and through me, and for me and with me. But God has this incredible plan for us. And it's a matter of you and I coming to a point in our life and saying, man, I want more. I want more of God. And how do we get that? It's not like trying to be more patient or be more outgoing. It's a matter of intimacy with God. How can you have more of God? Spend more time with him. How can you have more of your wife, your husband, or your spouse, your kids? Spend more time with them. That's what God wants. God wants us just to spend time together, to fellowship with Him, to have that intimate relationship with Him. God has so much more in His mind for this church, for you and your life, for your family. God desires for you and I to see these things in a great way. If you have your Bibles with this morning, we're going to start Colossians. We're going to start with the ninth verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. The first eight verses are Paul greeting this church, talking about it. He also talks about E. The fellow that came to talk to him about the church, and it was great to see him and great to get that word about the church. Did you find your way to Colossians 1, verse 9, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians one nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to us this morning, Father, that we might see these things, Father, and that we might desire, Father, to bless you with our lives, Father, to please you with our lives. Father, I pray as well, Lord, that we just grow and grow and grow. Father, thank you once again for loving us so much. Thank you for not giving up on us. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Paul was concerned about the continued spiritual growth of the Colossian church. He wanted that body of believers to grow and be strong in their faith. Look at the verses 9, 9 and 10 for just a second here. You know, I want you to know as we look at these things, it's not enough just to know God's will. We need to do it. He says this, for this reason also. I love the fact that he's given the reason for it. For this reason. This is why I'm writing these things. This is why I've taken time to write this letter. He gives the outline of the whole rest of the book, little four chapters of the book. Small book, but powerful truths. He says, for this reason, because I want you to be strong, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul was a prayer. Of all the things that Paul could do, he couldn't do a whole lot. He couldn't go to Colossae when he found out about it. But what could he do? He could pray, and he wrote. <coughs> for he said, I do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's profound. He wants us to understand doctrine. He wants us to understand what his holy word says. He wants us to know God and understand who God is, understand his character, understand his desire, understand the power that we have in God, understand the relationship he wants through Jesus Christ. Paul wanted us to understand God. To be wise in God, to have spiritual understanding, to be enlightened in that wisdom, to know what life is all about. We don't fully understand life until we begin to understand who God is. Why did God create us? Why are we here? What's my purpose? Where am I going when I die? Imagine all these things that God desires for you and I to know that strengthens our walk. But there's too many people walking around that call themselves Christians that just aren't taking the time to grow. Well, how do we grow? We need to be disciplined. I'm here to tell you, even if it, all these things, you think, well, the pastor's got this down. Now the pastor you have it down. I have to discipline myself to get in my Bible every single day. I'm here to tell you, I'd like to come over to the office and do it. I'd come up early here, usually before anybody else hears. i will <coughs> in my Bible start reading. what happens? The phone rings. I'm thinking, must well, pretty early for the phone to be ringing. It must be emergency. Pick up the phone, stop reading my Bible, and it's the wrong number. I have to discipline myself just to have a single focus. And so do you. And when I read my Bible, you know what I do? I say, God, speak to my heart today. I've read the whole Bible through a number of times. And so I'm not reading anything that's new to me. But God has something new for me. I can read the same scripture over and over. And God will have something new for me. I want you to think about this? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the great commandment. We know that. You know what? I'm still working on that verse. I've read that. I can quote it. I'm still working on that one. How do I love Billy with all my mind, with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? How do I do that? God, show me where I'm missing the beat. Where, am, I not, am I not loving you, God with all my mind? So when I get into God's holy word, I want to, him to speak to me. I want him to show me something new. I pray for that every time I open my Bible. Then he goes on though in verse 10. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Listen very carefully. We're never going to fully understand God's holy word. We're not going to have spiritual maturity. We're not going to have spiritual wisdom or be enlightened by God until we do the first part of verse 10 there along with verse 9. It says that you walk worthy. You know what he's saying here? You need to read this and absorb it, but then you also need to go apply it. I apply it by walking in the word. We can go all day long and hear this stuff and even memorize Scripture, but until I begin acting on it, until I begin walking in the Word, you know what? I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not going to grow the way God wants me to grow. It's just going to be little words on a page and information in my head. In fact, it's possible for a man or a woman to be a walking and see an encyclopedia of biblical facts. They really can be. I know people that know the Bible far better than me. Unfortunately, I still see them not walking in it. <coughs> As much as it's possible to be a walking encyclopedia, it's also possible to be foolish and neglectful in the application of God's Word. Miss it altogether. I know God's Word. In fact, I can tell you the history. I've studied all the parallel commentaries and all the books like Josephus and all these other books that were historians back there and wrote historical books to underline God and Jesus Christ and document in a factual, secular way that it's true that Jesus Christ truly did die upon a cross. That his disciples said he rose from the grave. There's all this information out there. There's more secular historical data to support the Bible than any other book. More than George Washington. We know he was the first president, right? Do we really? You know, I want to be a George Washington atheist. I don't believe in George Washington. There's more historical. But you can know all these things, but until you apply it, you're going to miss what God intended for us to be. You're going to miss what God intended for you and I to have as a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it look like when we apply ourselves? And what does it look like when, when we desire to walk worthy of the Lord? The <coughs> number one thing to walk worthy of the Lord, you know what it is? Surrender. I can't surrender to God's will if I'm still surrendering to my own will. Which is more important in my life, God's will or my will? Most of us struggle with that every day. The pastor does. My will versus God's will. I know the right answer. You do too. But we still struggle with it. Let me give you an example, okay? Surrender. When we surrender ourselves to God, you know what? We say yes to God without knowing where he's sending us. Think about Abraham. Yes. We tell God, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want. Your will, not my will. So we surrender before we even know where we're going. Yes, God, I'll do that. And you know what happens when we say that immediately? God reveals himself to us in a powerful way. We see things we've never seen before. You know, I don't want to go on a mission trip. That's kind of scary, going overseas and flying all the way and bad food and bad water. They tell us before we even go, don't drink the water. You know, what's that all about? You know, God's telling me to go to Nicaragua. God's telling me to go to Africa. I'm going. I'm going. When you have an immediate yes, when you are fully surrendered in God, I feel God telling me to go. I'm going. You know, it doesn't need to be Africa or Nicaragua. I feel and I sense God telling me in my spirit I'm supposed to serve in the church, maybe the children's department or youth department, serve as a greeter, whatever it might be. You hear it all the time, people asking for it and announcing it and it's in the bulletin. You go home and read it in the bulletin and they're looking for this. And you kind of sense that little conviction in your heart, I'm supposed to do this. Do it. Do it. You know what's going to happen? God's going to reveal himself in a powerful way. Conversely, have you ever heard this before or maybe even said it, unfortunately? You know, you hear God telling you to do something and all of a sudden you say, well... You know, what exactly is it? Or where do you want me to go? Or what's this all about? You know why we ask those questions? You know why we ask those questions sometimes? So I can determine if I really want to do it or not. If I want to do it or not. You know, when I find out, oh, they're going there, no thanks, I don't want to do that. Or you want me to do what? I don't want to go there. If you truly want to grow in the Lord, it's a matter of having a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart says, I'm saying yes to God. Every time I hear God speaking to me, how does God speak to us? Through our spirit, through his holy word. But I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna be a yes person. And I've shared this before in our church here when we're looking for volunteers. You get in a yes mode. I think there was a funny movie one time, a long time ago, a guy couldn't say no, just said yes all the time. You say yes. But if you get involved in some ministry and after a week or two putting your best effort in there, you realize this isn't my calling. That's fine. That's God showing you, hey, you're not affirming that you're there. He's got something else for you, something different for you. Do you know what? I'm not going to miss an opportunity for God when he's convicting my spirit when he's speaking to me. The question this morning, Pastor, is how do we know it's God speaking and not somebody else? Let me tell you the litmus test for God speaking to you. It's three thoughts. Is God speaking to me? First of all, it's going to line up with his holy word. God's not going to ask you to do something that's not lined up in his holy word. Literally what the Bible says. The second way to check out of God speaking to you is to understand God's character. Does what I'm getting ready to do here line up with God's character? He wouldn't want me to go out and do this or do that or do this. This lines up with God's character. The third thought here this morning is, if I take this responsibility, can I bring glory to God in that position or in that situation? Is it going to bring glory to God as I serve here? Does it line up with God's word? Does it line up with God's character? Is it going to bring glory to God as I serve here? Paul is praying here, as I mentioned a moment ago, for spiritual enlightenment. He wants the church of Colossae to understand God's truth. Why? Listen to this. Satan always exploits ignorance. Do you hear that? Satan always exploits ignorance. We see it all over the Christian church in America today. Ignorance. They're saying things that God clearly says that are blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that are sin. They're saying it's okay. Why are they doing that? I'm not really sure, but I think partly is their membership's declining because they haven't been preaching the true word of God for a long time. So people are leaving there because there's no true spiritual draw there. So they're wanting to kind of pull society and pull the secular world into their church here to build up their, build up their membership again. It's just it's sad. Anytime you see major problems in the church, I don't know how you could check this. I kind of examine it once in a while. But I can tell you right now, people that go into churches that cause trouble are not walking where they need to be walking with the Lord. They're not growing in their faith. They're at a point, point. they may have been there one time, but they're kind of weak. They've drawn away from Christ. They're not where they need to be with Christ. They're not applying what God's telling them in their word. And so they end up going into church and want to have their will and not God's will. Just saying. Just something to think about. Think about this for just a moment. Spiritual truth is imparted to a spiritual heart by the Spirit of God. Spiritual truth is imparted to a spiritual heart by the Spirit of God. Spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. I want spiritual truth. I need to have a spiritual heart and then seek the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to grow. My heart has to be right. My heart has to be broken and contrite, as David said in Psalms 51. David got into serious trouble, took his eyes off God and Sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and all kinds of things. And he understood his predecessor Saul how God had taken his hands off him and he was so concerned that God was going to take his hands off him. <laughs> God don't think it. it's probably the most beautiful scripture in all the Bible about repentance. You can make a mental note or write down Psalms 51. Think about that. How David was desperate for that relationship with God. He says, God's not interested in sacrifices, he's interested in a broken, contrite heart. He wants me to have the right heart. What did God say about David? Man after my own heart. Even after David did all these things, which most of us will never do. We're not going to kill somebody, and most of us won't be adulterous with somebody else's wife. But David was. And yet David's heart got right again with God. He was broken in an repentance and said, God, forgive me. Created me a clean heart. God, don't take your hands off me. God, scrub me with hyssop. You know what he's saying? Scrub all this grime out of my life. I want it all gone. Psalms 51 is beautiful about repentance. You know what? You and I need to be there every day. Walking in desperation for God. David was desperate for God. God, don't take your hands off me like you took your hands off Saul. God, I need you in my life. I'm so sorry. I'm repentant. God, change my heart. <coughs> you and I need to be the same way. We need to be in such a mode there that God, I've fallen short. God does not want us to live in shame or guilt. God does not want us to walk around... With all this heavy burden, God wants us just to confess it and move on. I'm not going to live with my face in the rear mirror. I'm looking through the big white windshield in the front of the car moving forward. God wants you and I to have that real life relationship with him. Think about this. Married couples have a little spat. Isn't it awesome when you have a racist, see who comes back and says, I'm sorry first. Please forgive me. Oh, I sure will, honey. Forgive me. Amy and I never had this experience. I'm just kidding. But how awesome, though, when when there's a a race between a married couple that have been married for a few years and saying, hey, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry we had that disagreement. I'm sorry I, I, I sounded like I was intense or angry. I'm so sorry. That's what God, that's the kind of relationship God wants. He wants to acknowledge Him. A lot of times we think He's so far removed that we don't feel like we have to have that relationship with Him. But God's looking for that. That's a broken and contrite heart. God, I know that I failed you today. I want to unpack... I've just given you the introduction here just about out of time. Uh, I want to unpack some of the characteristics of a life pleasing to God. We're going to look at one of them this morning. Decide in the second service, in the first service this morning, we're going to do this in two parts here. Part one this morning, and we'll pick it up next week. But I want to look at one of the characteristics of a life that's pleasing to God. It's a scripture there. Look at verse 10 again. Paul is telling him, listen, he's praying for knowledge and wisdom, but he says, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. The first characteristic of a life pleasing to God is bearing fruit. We need to bear <coughs> fruit. I want you to understand this. What is fruit? Spiritual fruit is the byproduct of knowing God and knowing how to walk. Walk according to God. As I grow in my faith in God, as I grow spending my time in the Holy Word, then I begin walking in it. You know what happens? Spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit those out of me spiritual fruit let me ask you this do you have a conviction in your life to be fruitful do you have a conviction in your life to be fruitful what does that mean i want to see fruit coming from our life it's just like a tree you guys have all seen fruit trees there imagine for just a moment going to carter's mountain and picking an apples isn't that fun We've done it a number of times, taking our family up there. Bit. You know, the sort family, we buy more than we can really afford to pay for. So fortunately, they'll buy them back, and they'll take, keep them there and sell them to somebody else. But we love going out there and picking the apples and going to the tree and how awesome it is and see who can get the highest. It's not Dad anymore, but see who can get the highest apple up in the tree. Can you imagine this next year going to Carter's Mountain, getting up there all the way, and you're so excited, the kids are all excited about picking apples. Get up there, there's not a single apple on the tree. There's none. What happened Where's all the apples on the trees here? We came all the way to Carter's Mountain over in, over in um, Charlottesville, and there's no apples. You know what I believe God's looking at? Look at all these churches, hundreds and hundreds of churches, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches across America. And where's the fruit? You know, Where's the beef? Where's the fruit? There is fruit coming out of a lot of followers of Jesus Christ, but compared to the number of people who go to church, one of the definitions of leadership is taking people where they might not go on their own. Leading people someplace where they not, may not go on their own. A test of leadership is if you think you're a leader, turn around for a minute and see if there's anybody falling behind you. I think it's the same test for spiritual fruit. Am I leading anybody by the way I carry myself, by the way I spend time with them, to some place they wouldn't go on their own? There's people in your life right now that aren't going to come to know Jesus Christ unless you lead them. Unless you let the fruit in your life because your relationship with Jesus Christ shine forth. Unless you become that shining light and that, that salt in this world and let them see what it looks like to walk with Jesus. One of the biggest problems of the church today is Christians. People call themselves Christians. Why? Because they're not bearing fruit. They're not living in such a way as that anybody wants to emulate their life. They leave church on Sunday morning and the whole rest of the week they're not living for the Lord. They're not realizing that I have an incredible opportunity to share Jesus with people. I personally have an incredible opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did at the cross to help change somebody's life just by sharing the truth about Jesus. I personally can do that. You can do it. God's given us a mouth. God's given us a life to live in such a way as we point other people to Him. The verse in... Psalms 114 verse 4 that says, Under the upright there arises light in the darkness. Under the upright there arises... What does that mean? It means that when we walk upright, we're going to have more light in our life. We're going to see God in a greater way. Our life's going to be bright and sunshiny. We're going to see all kinds of things from God that we wouldn't see if we're not walking upright. Upright means to walk in such a way as we point to God. Walk in such a way as we point to God. Am I walking in such a way as that my life by itself just points to God? I want my life to count for something. I want my life not just to count for what I do on this earth. I want my life, I want your life to count for eternity. There's a lot of people that have significant, huge jobs. They're making a big difference in the financial world or the banking world or CEO of this company or that company. (coughs) That's good. But I want great. Great is taking my life, no matter what platform God gives me, and make a difference for eternity. Something that's going to last. Everything else in this world is going to be burned up. Something that lasts. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. I had the opportunity years ago to have a fellow by the name of Cleve McCleary come to Grove Avenue, Baptist Church. We actually had some guys from this church come. I invited this church to come on out. Had a huge sanctuary filled with men to hear this precious Marine that had been shot up in Vietnam. Phenomenal testimony, but in a foxhole one night under attack by the Vietnamese, outnumbered something like 20 to 1, realized that he was going to lose that position, only had a small platoon of guys, lost most of them that night. Called in for evacuation by helicopters. The helicopter pilot said, hey, we can't make it in there. Fire's too hot. He said, if you don't come, we'll all be dead here in about 15 minutes. Pilots, God bless him, landed the helicopters. In the meantime, he'd been blown up by a hand grenade. Lost an arm, lost part of this fan, lost an eye. But uh, as he was laying there in that foxhole thinking he was going to die, he said, God, if you let me live, I'm going to give my life to you. He knew about Jesus Christ, but it was never real. He'd actually been baptized and grew up in a Christian home, but it was never real. That night, God rescued him. He loaded him him on the helicopter to get out of there. Just the nick of time, as they were lifting off about 20 feet over the air, the Vietnamese overran the top of the hill there. where is that? It was that close to death. His life was changed forever that night. Listen very carefully. Because in the desperation of the moment, desperate for life, desperate for answers, desperate for God, and he reached out. That's that brokenness and that contrite heart that we're talking about David had. In desperation, you and I need to live with that kind of desperation. God, use me today. God, this person over there is one of my biggest enemies by God, but give me the right heart. I'm desperate, God, to have the right heart that I might show him Jesus Christ. The people that are meanest to you, the people that are just really cruel to you in this life, you know what? The greatest thing they need is Jesus Christ. Who's in a better place to show them Jesus Christ than you? You know, the the normal response that you and I want to have sometimes is, Man, that guy doesn't know who he's doing. I can beat him up or I can do these things or I'm going to strike back or I can be mean to him. That's not Christ. That's not being desperate for him. Being desperate for Christ says, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love the bitterness and the hate and the anger out of this person because of Jesus Christ and me. God set this sinner's feet on solid rock. I want to be used of God. To set that person's feet on solid ground. That's bearing fruit. That's bearing fruit. Is that the attitude of my heart? Am I living every day, desiring to be desperate for God and close to God and growing in God in such a way as that my life counts for Him? My life makes a difference. What does it really look like to have spiritual fruit? What does spiritual fruit look like? One of the things is leading people to the Lord, actually leading to the Lord. It's sad to realize in the Southern Baptist denomination that less than 2% of the Southern Baptists that call themselves Southern Baptists have ever led somebody to the Lord. I thank God for missionaries that do that for a living. They do that because of the calling God's put on their life, and they go out overseas into hard areas to share the gospel. The Bible says this, and I love this. It kind of fits right in with the idea of fruit. This is Proverbs 11.30. It says, the fruit of righteousness, that's walking, the way God wants us to, is a tree of life. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. He who wins souls is wise. This is God speaking. The fruit of righteousness, of walking the way God wants us to do, the fruit of being who God wants us to be, the fruit of seeking Him first in our life, being hungry and thirsty for His righteousness, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Another part of fruit, another thing of fruit is to live that godly life, to live in such a way as people see there's something different. <clears throat> it's easy to be godly and easy to be a good Christian when things are going good, but when everything falls apart or when we go through a, a brutally hard time, you know, that's when people that realize we're Christians are watching. Okay, this person always seems to be, you know, dancing the two-step and excited about life and now they're going through a hard time, let's see what they're going to act like now. And... uh When you just claim God and you say, God, give me the strength. God, strengthen my testimony now. God, let me bear fruit this time. You know, you've thought about it before, I'm sure, and I've thought about it as well. I've talked to guys in jails for years now. But you're in this hard time in your life right now. Why not make it count? Okay? A lot of times you go through a hard time. Man, I can't wait till this is over. Well, in the midst of the storm, in fact, uh, Max Lucado, no, not Max Lucado, but uh, John... um, Who's the management group? John Maxwell. Yet yeah, wrote a book called um, uh, "Failing Down." F- I'm sorry, "Failing Forward." Sorry about that. Should have wrote that in my notes. It's one of those extras today. No charge for this. Wrote a book, "Failing Forward," and uh, what he said is, every time we all fall down, every time you fall down, look around, look at the vantage point down there, look what God wants to do, and you know he gives the illustration of slipping on ice when you're down there. Look around. You know, take a moment and just reflect that you're okay and she didn't break your neck. Whatever it might be, but every time we fail, every time we find ourselves in a hard position, pause and see how God might use me right now where I'm at. It might be at the depths of your life for a moment. God, how will you use me down here? I don't want to miss an opportunity in life to be used of God, even the hard ones. Giving is another thing, too. Every time a pastor talks about giving, we all think uh, he's talking about my wallet. no. There's so many more important things I need to give. My time, my life, my talents. Um, money is part of it. But uh, I want to give it all to God. God, how could you use this life? Your glory. Fruits of the Spirit. Good attitude. I want to share this thought in conclusion. We just hit the first characteristic of four. And so we'll conclude it next week. Part two. But... Uh, Remember Jonah? Jonah was a prophet, and he was called of God. God told him to go to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. He really kind of just uh, he ran from God. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went 2,000 miles in the wrong direction and uh, was going to go 2,000 miles in the wrong direction. But uh, he actually said no to God, he just wasn't going to go, and ran from God, thought he was going to get away. Do you know what happened, though? Old Jonah fell overboard and that ship was thrown overboard and he got swallowed up by a big fish. Jonah, before that happened, had kind of a small picture, a small concept of who God was. After Jonah spent three days in the belly of that well, he got spit up back on the earth there, he went to Nevada and led that revival. But he had a whole much, a whole greater concept of God And who he was after he spent those three days in the bell of the well. God didn't give up on Jonah. God had a plan for Jonah that he'd grow in his relationship with him. God has a very specific purpose for you. Very specific calling upon you. He set you apart before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Bible tells us. God has this incredible plan that you might see great and mighty things by His hand, but that you'd be something extraordinary in this world for His cause. That you wouldn't just be an ordinary people. We we too many times underestimate who we are. But we need to always remember that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That I'm made in God's image. I'm not made in the image of a monkey, like some people would say. I'm made in God's image. God made me. I'm special. That's what we need to teach our kids, but that's also how we need to live as adults. That I'm special. We need to question our concept of God. Question the greatness of God. Is God truly great? He is. Begin living that way. Begin expecting great things by God's hand. Begin serving God in a great way. God is not about us not living in a great and mighty way for Him. He has a great desire for you and I.